Thank you for listening to the Utah Shakespeare Festival's Play On podcast. This is your host, Nano Taggart. Today, we have an interesting duo of guests, Aaron gallagher Stirl and Sam Klein. Aaron is playing Festy in Twelfth Night and Dromeo of Syracuse in the Comedy of Errors. This is Aaron's fifth season at the Utah Shakespeare Festival. Last year, he played Smee in Peter and the Starcatcher and Lord Evelyn Oakley in Anything Goes. He has been on Broadway in The Phantom of the Opera and Dr. Seuss' How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Sam Klein is the music director of Twelfth Night and Measure for Measure, and the band leader for Twelfth Night and associate conductor and keyboardist for Into the Woods. He has been at Utah Shakes for the past several years as a music director for Peter and the Starcatcher and conductor and keyboardist for Anything Goes and keyboardist for Les Miserables in 2012. Thank you so much, Aaron and Sam, for joining us for the podcast. Uh, we know you're both busy. We value your time. It means a lot that you take time out to do this. Our pleasure. Um, Thank you, Nano. Awesome. Um, <laughs> I wanted to tell you've kind of collaborated on a few, not necessarily musicals, but productions with musicals over the year, with music over the year, Anything Goes, uh, Peter and the Starcatcher, this season with Twelfth Night. I'm wondering if you could kind of take me and our listeners through the process of putting music to a production. Uh, nobody really gets to see what happens behind the scenes, all the meetings, all the conversations. Uh, setting things up from the perspective of somebody as, that's a musical director, in the case of Sam, and as a performer for you, Aaron. Sure, sure. Well, I'm, I'm sure we have a bunch to talk about. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in, in the first case, I have been really fortunate to work with Aaron gallagher Sterl over three shows now over the three past shows, two yeah. years, and I'm just cool. really hoping that next year they give me a little break. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that being said, I think that's too, uh, uh, I think it's too general a question to ask about all three shows in general. So, they're all maybe, so, so different. So maybe yeah. Twelfth Night, as, since that's a season. Well, one of the great things that we're lucky about, we're very lucky with, is that we had an extraordinary composer cool. uh, and sound designer, Paul James Prendergast. Mm -hmm. He is a genius. Um, and uh, we're very, very lucky that he he was a part of the process. And he's he what he brought to the table was a true sense of collaboration mm -hmm. so from day one what would happen what happened at least with me and i'm sure sam can talk about that is that the, the my first time meeting him was we sat down for coffee and we just talked about the play and we cool. talked about the roles yeah and we talked about the music and then he started asking me questions about what my comfort areas are he said okay so uh you know what instruments do you play if any and i said well okay. i play a little bit of guitar he said, great. Cool. So if, you're, if you play a little bit of guitar, tell me what chords you know. And I said, okay, uh, I know G <laughs> and simple. C and yeah. D and yeah, you know, I, I, E minor and A minor. And I started listing the chords. He said, okay, great. I will write my songs to what, that you have to play to fit exactly the chords that you know. That's incredible. So, for me, so that I felt comfortable doing yeah. that. You know, now that wasn't the case the whole time because, of course, one of our musicians, Maggie, you know, mm. she taught herself how to play the accordion uh -huh. for the show yeah. because that became an, a need. So, you know, that that got handed off. So, Sam, what, what other things happened in there in that part of it? Well, a lot of things happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I've heard Paul... Uh, Affectionately referred to as PJP. PJP. So if we can just abbreviate to that acronym, it might make our conversation a little faster. Yeah, yeah. Save some syllables. So yeah, the the organic process that Aaron was talking about was just it's something I don't think I've ever experienced on quite this level before. You know, he came into town 
with a lot of melodies in mind for the vocal songs. Cool. But nothing was really fleshed out, and it was intentional. He was waiting to see the set, meet the actors, hear the voices, meet the musicians, oh, wow. see what we played, see what instruments we can get, see the lighting. So, you know, some of the some of the scene change music and stuff like that, we really didn't set down until the final dress rehearsal. Oh, wow. It was sort of done all the way through the process uh, so that our soundscape that we were providing could best support the atmosphere and the director's vision. Cool. Um, so that was a really uh, great part of the process. Um, I mean, there were so many things that went on, so it's hard to tell where to start. But uh, what I think was really neat was, um, at least from our instrumentalist perspective, we've uh -huh. got a three-piece band. Now, nominally, it's piano, guitar, and uh, we've got uh, Hilary Stavros, who's playing uh, oboe and violin. Cool. Yeah, so yeah. those are our main instruments. Mm -hmm. But we all play about 15 billion. Yeah. Um, we went That's up, a technical term. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. They actually play 15, 15 billion, billion combined, not each of them. One, no, of, our, yeah. one yeah. of our favorite parts of the process. So PJP gets into town and, you know, uh, he talked on the phone with all of us beforehand to uh -huh. find out and then asked kind of each each of us about each other to find out our strengths yeah, yeah, and weaknesses. Yeah. And then one of the first things we did was we went down to the music house, the music storage house, mm -hmm. and just saw what we had. And so we're pulling out... Uh, you know, accordions and lutes and uh, vibra slaps <laughs> and drums and different different kinds of guitars yeah. and hurdy gurdy and uh, desk bells and a lot of stuff we had left over from Starcatcher last year too. Yeah, and yeah. All the wacky foley sound effects. Uh, so just looking through and see what we had, and we found an accordion. We were like, uh, PJP said, I wasn't even planning on having an accordion, but can one of you guys play this? I was like, uh, I mean. <laughs> We can, yeah, we can we'll learn. Figure it out. Yeah, and yeah. so, and so Maggie Hollenbeck, who's primarily guitar but also percussion and accordion, yeah, really stepped up and brought that accordion home. Uh, the, we found the first one. She named it uh, Starlet, I think. I can't remember the name of it. It's but then we a, found yeah. a better one, and we named him Clyde. Oh, Charlotte. Charlotte was Charlotte. the first one, I think. Not Starlet. Yeah. Uh, and I play a little accordion in the show too, but it's kind of basic stuff. She does yeah. kind of the fancy things. Cool. So I stick to keyboard. But I just, that was just a really neat part of the process. It's it just going like into the music incredible, house. But it sounds like it's also. And seeing what we had, you know? It's, uh, you get to be a part of the whole, the big picture then yeah. as a you know music director or performer, but it sounds like a lot of pressure. Well, it's I guess there's a little bit of pressure, but the thing that's great about that is that there is ownership uh -huh. because we're part of the process. We are bringing our ideas. We're bringing our own voice. You cool. know, so it was, it was really great to, when we would we would work on the songs, I would say, you know, hey, what do we think about what what if I did this instead mm -hmm. of that? And we would listen to it and I'd try it a couple different ways and PJP would say, Yeah, that's a great idea, take that. And then uh -huh. suddenly that's now my idea, part of you know, I'm no exactly, longer yeah. I'm no longer just doing something by rote. I get a score, I learn it, I do it, and we're done. Now we're part of the actual process of creation. And then it's ours, so then when we're on stage and we're doing it, there's a sense of pride, there's a sense of ownership, and I think that that gets translated to the audience. I think the audience right gets what's happening. That, that this, is, this is more special, this is more unique, this is more um, you know, singular of an experience. Yeah, if, if yeah. I were sitting in the audience watching the show and I heard the music, I wouldn't think to myself, Wow, this just sounds like straight out of a book. It, yeah, it, it, I just to me it just feels really organic. And, well, so it's, sort it's, of it doesn't spot, sound like know? you're playing something out of the 16th century that you hear in a lot of kind of Shakespeare. No, not at all. Yeah, the no. style is is Balkan inspired. In oh, fact. cool! And, Very uh, cool. While some of our our vocal songs uh, that Aaron sings and mm -hmm. that Melinda Funstein sings at the opening of the show um, are kind of blends of traditional tunes and sort of actually blends of genres within the song. 
Um, yeah. Most of our scene change music and our incidental underscores have a, a bit of a Balkan feel to it. Okay. So we did a lot of research into some uh, different Balkan gypsy melodies and stuff yeah. like that from that, I was from that say, area most people of the would, world. We'll probably know the term gypsy as opposed to. Yeah. Kind the, of... uh, Illyria. Illyria, where the play is set, is modern day Croatia, Serbia, cool. around there. Yeah. Um, so it fits. Yeah. So, we, yeah, we, so we looked into that stuff, and uh, Hilary Stavros actually came up with the majority of our of our incidental music and her violin tunes and we sort of we experimented with instrumentation underneath it yeah yeah pjp said i hate that i love that that's horrible that's great right uh you know had some veto power and gave us some ideas too and uh, maggie and i each came up with a, a couple things as well right so uh, yeah that's very cool what um it's sam as your music director for 12th night but also for a couple of the shows in the adams right measure and henry this is true nano what uh What's the process like when you're dealing with basically pre-recorded music, right? In the Adams, because there's no room for live musicians, you know. In true, Adams. true. And I have what, to say that... What would you say you do here, you know, when, when, it, <laughs> when it comes to pre-recorded music as a music director? Well, uh, what do I do here? You mean in, <laughs> in general? Oh, yeah. As <laughs> a music the, director in the, in the Adams. In, as a music director in the Adams. Uh, to tell you the truth, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It was actually pretty easy. Uh-huh. Um, Compared to the large proje- large scale projects I was yeah, doing yeah. at the Randall, uh, the Shakespeare shows in the Adams that involve music, and there's a lot of pre-recorded uh, incidental music and stuff like that, which incidentally uh, <laughs> usually is composed is originally composed by the sound designers. Yeah. Joe Payne, who's amazing. Yeah. I know Barry Funderburg did a lot of that work last year as I've well. I've heard and, only good things about both of them. Yeah, yeah, and PJP, who was here this year yeah. as well. Um, all fantastic people. So, yes, you know, you steal some Beethoven for Sense and Sensibility and everything like that, but a mm-hmm. lot of the stuff is originally sequenced as well. Right and for the Adams shows, there are just a few songs in uh, the two shows that I music directed, Henry and Measure. Mm-hmm. And so the process basically was the sound designer and composer composed the songs. Yeah. I took that. I helped communicate his vision to the performers. Uh, sometimes we did a little harmonic arrangement. We saw the voice we had to work with and maybe altered things a little bit. Cool. Um, so it was basically just me assisting, uh, communicating to singers and actors what the composer's vision was. Okay. And uh, yeah, so it was a pretty it was a pretty easy gig. Uh, the one thing that's not always easy is, you know, sometimes Shakespearean actors don't have a lot of vocal training. Yeah. So you sort of, you sort of have to, you know, walk them through a little more step by step and yeah. take a different approach than you would to a professional full-time singer. Yeah. Um, but everyone stepped up and did a great job and it did, and it didn't hurt that, you know, one of the songs in measure is just a, you know, swilling drinking song and yeah. everything like that when they're in the uh, brothel. So, gotcha. yeah. Uh, what do you think Twelfth Night is, everyone I've talked to about this play that's been involved with it seems to love it so much and i noticed on your bio aaron you actually mentioned it's one of your favorite plays and i'm, I'm wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about why you feel so much attachment to the play and what you think having live music on the stage that you're you know part of as, as plain festy contributes to this play yeah great question um i actually i am i'm actually lucky because i would say that both of my shows this year comedy of errors and twelfth night uh, both are two of my favorite Shakespeare plays, oh, cool. um, which is interesting because a lot of people talk about Comedy of Errors as one of the sort of the, the, the not so good Shakespeare's, you know, it's just, yeah. it's not very well written. It's a one joke play, you know, Brad Carroll called it a faulted play. I think. Yeah. I don't know. I disagree with that. I really do. I, you know, when, 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 when you look at, when you look at, there's a play out. There's a play that I, I I like to refer to a lot. It's not a Shakespeare play. It's called Labette. 
Mm-hmm. And one, it, it's this wonderful play that is a, a debate about what is the higher art form, comedy or drama? And the answer is both. Yeah. They both are. Comedy at its, at its absolute best and absolute most precise can be just as affecting and, mm-hmm. of, a, of an experience as drama at its most profound. They just are different. One is not better than the other. And uh, one of the great things that Shakespeare does, which is what's why he's so extraordinary, is because he was able to write both. My God, think about all of the writers that we have right. today yeah. in this world. And we go, oh, he was a writer on Seinfeld, so he writes comedy. Yeah. Oh, that guy wrote the Academy Award winning movie, The English Patient. Yeah. So he only writes drama. You know, this this guy could do it all. When it and, was interwoven, it wasn't just a comedy or a drama. Right? And that's my main point, which yeah. why what I, what I know I this was a long answer to no, it. Good, but my good. point is that Twelfth <laughs> Night is one of the examples that he that where he he mends melds the two yeah. maybe the best yeah. he puts he puts the the some of the funniest sequences in all of his canon with some of the most touching beautiful romantic yeah. uh, um uh heartfelt sequences in the same play and he does it brilliantly mm-hmm. and that's uh one of the things that blows my mind about shakespeare and why i always loved working on him is because no, none of his plays, even Comedy of Errors, is not only one thing. It's yeah. all of the things. There's there's some of everything in there. You know, you look at Romeo and Juliet and you think about that as a tragedy, but the first half of that show is hilarious. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's true. It's hilarious. Yeah. Until Mercutio dies, that is a hilarious play and should be so that when he dies, it's more effective. Uh-huh. You know? And that's why that's why Twelfth Night is so one of my favorite plays, mm-hmm. and and honestly, so is Comedy of Errors. It's one of the it's one of the great uh, pieces. It's it's perfectly organized, perfectly uh, structured. Yeah, yeah. For for maximum effect, and that's extraordinary to me. Cool. It's one of the most. Uh, I mean, even not talking directly about music, literally, it's one of the most musical plays in the canon. Twelfth Night. Yes, the it language. Is. It is. I, I didn't answer that part of your question, yeah, which was about the music. Exactly. In, in the and show. I'm wondering. I know they kind of go hand in hand because the the words in this play are so there's so much poetry. There is obviously, yeah. but I'm wondering if maybe both of you could could chirp a little bit about what what the music make a pitch like what the music adds to maybe somebody sitting in the audience. Well, well, one of the things that it does is that it it changes the it changes the direction of the play. You know that the music in Twelfth Night is not arbitrary. Yeah. It's not there. Because Shakespeare was like, ah, you know, I think this show is getting a little boring, so let's add a song. Like, that's not what happens there. You know, what what happens, if you look at it, the best example is you look at Come Away Death, which is a song that takes place uh, in the middle of uh, a scene between Orsino and Viola. And they're having this scene in there, and and up until this point, Orsino has been sort of a man of of squat of, of like of of sitting on his passion he's incredibly passionate but he's not doing a whole lot about he's it. eloquent about it but he's, he's not own, doing much but and yeah. he's ta- he talks about it incessantly mm-hmm. right yep. i mean on and on and on but he's not doing a whole lot yeah. right and what happens is is that then he asks for this song festy comes up and he sings this song and right immediately afterwards he goes now i want to do something i want to do something <laughs> and it changes the flavor of everything that came before it. Yeah. And that's that's what happens with uh with 
the best musical theater out there, and it's what happens with the best Shakespeare, is that he he got, he understands that the, mu the music has an effect on the characters, and it has an effect on the audience. And you look at the other song, Oh Mistress Mine, one, one of the other songs, Oh Mistress Mine, it's the same sort of thing. I that that song that he sings, Festy sings, has a, has a direct and important, profound effect on the other characters on stage. Cool. And it changes the flavor of what's happening, and the cool. audience comes along <laughs> with it. Cool. So the both the audience and the performers on stage are being affected by it in that's kind right. of the same that's way. That's right. That's right. So Absolutely. there's kind of a generosity in that then. Very much so. That's a great way to think about it. What about sure. from your perspective, Sam? Well, is... I just kind of want to, uh, you know, I think Aaron's got a little more overall Shakespeare experience than I, than yeah. I do. I'm a kind of a musical theater nerd here. Mm -hmm. But uh, I just kind of wanted to piggyback on uh, the two songs he was talking about and just sort of point out kind of the genius that our composer had in awesome. just everything he did with these songs in those moments completely supporting what he's talking about. Our song, uh, uh, Come Away Death, mm -hmm. you know, we start, we, we're doing it, we're starting to rock out in the middle in the middle of it a little bit, and there's this direct lead-in to the pregnant pause and the, and, the, and the switch of intention right afterwards yeah. by some very technical musical things that we do, ending on a dominant, the way we've cool. orchestrated it and everything like that, yeah. and just sort of leading into it. So I think... Uh, when you listen to it, you don't really realize, but I think there was a lot of thought put oh, yeah. into the flavor, uh -huh, even the so. chord progression and the instrumentation uh, itself of the songs to to support all of this, you know, profound effect it has on the show. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, what was really great was just being a part of being able to affect that. Uh, the singers, yeah, and the band and the composer all working together to to that's to help awesome. That. Yeah. So these technical terms, the music terms you just mentioned, um, it's kind of like the, the same way an audience is affected by. Repeated iams or trochees or, you know, all these different metrical forms. Sure. It's the same thing with music. You might not know the words, mm -hmm. right? But certain certain affects, certain choices convey things to sure, to the absolutely, audience. absolutely. So so to 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 take what Sam is talking about and and maybe lay it out even a little bit clearer is exactly what you're talking about. The the final chord mm -hmm. of Come Away Death, which he described as a dominant chord. Yeah. What 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 happens is it's a sort of a it's a chord that asks the audience to expect something else. There's there's a leading energy to that chord that yes, goes Yes, I should have explained that. No, yes. no, 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 but no, 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 no you good. didn't need to explain no, it. But what it does is it makes the audience go lean <laughs> forward in their seat and go, oh, yeah. "Oh, there's going to be more. There's going to be another chord. There's going to be another moment of music. There's going to be something that leads us forward into a sense of expectation." Cool. So what so that that chord was very very brilliantly chosen to give that sense of expectation so that at the end of the song there's this big huge pregnant pause of what's going to happen we mm -hmm. don't know the audience is with us the yeah. actors all no one knows what is going to happen next because of the brilliance of choosing that particular chord and yeah and, and the next chord is that's not awesome. is not music it's the text and it's 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 the characters oh trailer. wow that's right kind of an interesting interweaving then of music you're literally playing one form of music off of another with the language Absolutely. Of, of you know, one of the things, uh, I also am a huge musical theater nerd. I mean, that's sort of my world as <laughs> that's well. That's why you're here, yeah. And, you know, and, and, and more recently, I've gotten more and more into the Shakespeare thing, which I, I love as well. And one of the things that I always say, and I, I really believe this, is that some of the best Shakespearean actors are musically trained actors either musical theater actors or yeah. actors who play mu instruments because like we're talking about yeah, there's yeah. a musicality to the language that 
as actors that that have a sense that understand music there there is as actors we understand how to sustain those thoughts over long lines we understand mm -hmm. what the mm -hmm. rhythm of that should be where the stops are where the where where it should go quicker where it should slow down you know and that that is something that music uh, whether, sort of ear training that you get. It is whether music. we're actually whether whether we actually have music underneath the text or not. We have the music going on in our heads. Awesome. You know, one yeah. of the great exercise acting exercises that I think that people can do that are interested in Shakespeare is to do a speech, turn on turn on some music, mm -hmm. do a speech, and and let the music affect how you're doing that speech, and then put on a completely different song and different energy, and do the speech again and see what and happens. See what happens. It changes. Yeah everything you can do that with non-shakespeare text but it's particularly effective with shakespeare because you'll see how much the rhythms and the, the the structure of the text itself is actually musically uh, affected that's terrific right and and you know and that's something that you're talking about for an individual in in how they're trying to approach something or how they're trying to approach uh, delivering the text and it's so funny i was just talking about this very subject with a uh, another fabulous shakespearean actor who's also a musician larry bull who's playing our king henry cool. this year yeah and uh, what we really got into was even expanding past that and sort of to the ensemble work and the mm -hmm. collaborative art of an entire scene or an entire act or an entire show. Yeah. And, and about how uh, how the, the way scenes move mm -hmm. uh, is all about tempo. And then we were sort of doing a little bit of griping. And you know, like, you know, in this rehearsal, in the rehearsal process anywhere, you get these kids coming in who just try and milk everything and they take, you know, pauses when not necessary. Yeah. And, and I try and phrase it this way. If you're playing a song with a band <laughs> and it's your turn for a solo, do you slow it down? You know, yeah. obviously there's exceptions to different things, but we, just, we thought about all of it in musical terms, just about tempo and rhythm That's and terrific. how... You know, you're you're approaching a monologue or or dramatic a part of text that's just uh -huh. your own, and thinking of the musicality and rhythm of it, and then you can sort of apply that to the overall arc of the entire story that you're telling yeah. with incredible. everyone involved, Very true. with the lights, yeah, yeah, and with the set the set changes, and with all you know all the actors and ensemble and everything. It so. all fits into sort of this big picture, and there's there's a, there's a rhyme and a reason, and the music is absolutely kind of one of the the context then. For sure. We That's like music. Describe. Yeah, uh, it, it comes through. I'm getting a sense. <laughs> Sam, you mentioned not being, not having worked on Shakespeare productions a whole lot. Um, yeah, not a whole lot. Do you, do you think your knowledge um, in music, with music, do you think it helps you absorb Shakespeare because of the music in the play? Does it, does I mean, it affect I, how you come at the play? I think so. Uh, do you mean as a, you know, as a participant in the collaborative process of performing uh, yeah, or well, as an you've observer? Got a, you're part of the same, I mean, some of the same interpretive processes if i'm understanding things correctly as some of the performers right and i'm wondering right. if, if your knowledge in, in music which is extensive we'll talk about your mensa uh membership in a little bit here <laughs> right. it's on your resume on the, on the web right on the website. I, I still walk into doors a lot so yeah. don't too much into that but do you think it does inform your uh i i think so and you know i think the only the only uh, part about me not having as much shakespeare experience uh, just mean just meant that I had to do a little more research cool. than I normally have to do. Yeah. You know, uh, I came in doing Into the Woods here this year, and I've done the show before. Mm -hmm. I know about Sondheim's life and works yeah. and the development of his career and how to approach this in common performances. I knew all that already. Yeah. Twelfth Night, I didn't know any of that, so I just had to do a lot more work in yeah. preparation for it. Cool. Um, but I think because it's, you know, Shakespeare's most musical play, as many as many term it, yeah. uh, I think... I think I definitely had a little bit of a leg up, at least, in uh, 
in feeling that overall flow of yeah. everything and, and how yeah. things move, tempo, pace, <laughs> things, things you kind of mentioned, right? Yeah. I feel we're probably close on time here, and I, I would have loved to have been able to talk about Dromeo and, and Festy a little more because such two of the really the funnest characters, most fun characters in the, in the season, you know, frankly. But I'm wondering if I could get each of you, I like to ask all the guests this question, maybe talk about your entry point into the arts, into theater, into music, like when you kind of knew if there was a moment or maybe a progression of events where you said, I have to surround myself. My life has to center around the arts. My mom made me take piano lessons when I was four. <laughs> it's just that simple, right? Uh, well, we all tried it out. I just really loved it. And all I did was not stop. So I've just been playing since I was four. Uh-huh. Uh, classical. I show up to high school my freshman year. Uh -huh. And uh, about halfway through the year, someone was like, hey, you're that kid who plays piano, right? You need a pit pianist for the pajama game. Are you in? And I, I was like, uh, let me see the music. And being classically trained, it was like the hardest thing I've ever seen in my life. So yeah. I just practiced a lot, and I was the I was the pit pianist uh, for for the pajama game. For the pajama so game. So the pajama and, game uh, is the reason then you're not uh, <laughs> in some orchestra somewhere. And why right. why you veered towards and I musical think theater? The theater bug was bitten ever since. Obviously, as a professional mus uh, pianist, I do everything. I've run a jazz bar. I've been a you Catholic, have options. Yeah. I've been a Catholic church organist. I accompany for colleges. But my love is theater. Cool. And uh, anytime I get up and go to work and it's for theater, uh -huh. I like it. Anytime it's for something else, I'm like, okay, I'll go, you know, make some money. <laughs> That's how I got into Very it. Very cool. Yeah. Thank you, Sam. Yeah, and I, um, I, I, I refer to myself as a lifer. I was one of those kids who, uh, similar to Sam, when I was three, four, five, somewhere in there, I just couldn't do anything else. I, I Every time I saw my parents, I'd, I would ask them to sit down and, and can I put on a play for you? I uh -huh. mean, I, and my parents are not uh, theater people. Uh, we have a little bit of uh, theater in sort of our extended family, arts in the extended family, but <laughs> not neither my parents. And they were, they were always sort of with it. They were supportive, but incredibly flabbergasted. Like, what? where did this come from? Why is this guy like just <laughs> <Mine> constantly too, <laughs> yeah. putting on shows? Like, what's happening? So they, so very early on, they said, well, I, I, I guess we should put him in some shows or classes or something. And <laughs> You know, and I just did community theater. You know, I was yeah. never one of those, like, professional kid actors. I, you know, that wasn't my world. But I would do community theater, and I would do choir, and I would do dance classes, and I would do, you know, all this stuff. And that's just what made me happy. And I was so cool. passionate about it and wanted to do it that, you know, really – I, I was I've been very blessed that you know m many people in our our world obviously you know as they as they progress through life somewhere in their high school college post college they're like what do I want to do with my life and yeah. for some reason I don't know why that that was literally never a question it always was clear to me that this is what I was going to do that's terrific the yeah. one sort of recurring theme I'm going to sound like a broken record to the listeners but the one thing I could really pull out of every person that's answered that question is that phrase quit if you can. I get a sense from every single person I've talked to that if there was something else they could do and, and sort of live with it and be happy, they would, but they just can't. Like they kind of have to do this. There, I think, I think you're right. There is, there is a part of all of us that there, there is a, a deep need, I think, for, mm. for, for what we do and a great deep passion. But um, I'm going to be the dissenting voice there, which is that, um, Very good. I, uh, I, you know, I, it's easy. It's very, very easy for people and and many of us. And I I did I said it too for a while. You uh -huh. know, to make the the easy joke get out while you can because it is a very, very hard life. It's true. I'm not going to sugarcoat that. However, yeah. what I would also say is that, um, boy, are we blessed. Boy, are we lucky cool. to be able to live a life where we get to walk in other people's shoes, mm -hmm. 
we, we, we live a life of empathy. We live a life of understanding and experiencing what other people are going through. Mm -hmm. And it only helps to open our minds to creating a better world and creating better relationships and creating better experience for us and for the people around us. And that is, that is an extraordinary gift that we're given. Mm -hmm. And I I would also say that I know I'm, I'm sidetracking slightly, but, but riffing on this, which is that a life in the arts, whether you do it professionally or not a life studying or experiencing the arts, every one of those skills is applicable in, in life. And, you know, people talk about when, you know, young people, I, you know, I want to go to, I want to go to college and study theater and everyone else goes, well, you better get a side job. You better find a a second option. I heard the same thing. Yeah. And, and here's what I would say. I, I disagree because if you go and you get a degree in theater, in music, in dance, you're going to learn skills in that that are applicable to any other job that you want in life. People if, don't realize that. If yeah. you if yeah. you if you learn how to be an actor, you so, actors make the best communicators, Absolutely. the best negotiators, the best collaborators. You can suddenly be a lawyer, you could be a, a, an electrician, you could be someone and your your skills are now at the top of those areas and all of those skills that you That's learn very cool, in, yeah. all, in the arts are applicable everywhere else. Don't people get a second job. Don't find anything people else. People like go, to go. put the arts on an island though when it comes to careers. They do, right? and I disagree. I think it's I, I think, think it is yeah, its own. It's, yeah. it, it's, it's something that's applicable to to life. Anything you're gonna do. That's right. Cool. I, Sam, took, anything the, to... I took the opposite tack. I went to college for computer science, and uh, <laughs> I was you know I always like to say I'm a proud computer science college dropout. Uh, but I just could I I personally I just wasn't really happy. I didn't know why I wasn't happy until I'd be, be able to I was able to have a full time career doing yeah, music and doing music and stuff. That's terrific. Um, but I I think I picked up so many skills along the way, especially as a music director, mm-hmm. not just a pianist, but a music director that just affects so many areas of communication with everyone in my life. Yeah. Personal, uh, professional. Uh, across just the across the board, I think That's it's really assisted with my personal relationships as well. Just all everything you learn and experience from working with people in art collaboratively. Yeah. That's so it's a it's a it's a gift. It's a gift of of life. It's a it's a real gift that we have. That's cool. I get a sense of appreciation from both of you that you that you're lucky to be able to play this sort of role. Can we you are, let the record right. show that we just high five? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can confirm, audience, that they just, uh, <laughs> they just high five. Thank you again both so much. I could sit here and talk to you for hours if we, we had the too. time. Thank you, sir. But yeah, thank you. What a pleasure. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Play On podcast. So many unique and talented people come together to make this celebration of Shakespeare and theater happen. It's our goal to give you a glimpse of just how much amazing work goes into making founder Fred Adams' vision a reality. We'll be visiting with more actors from the 2014 season in the coming weeks. Tune in next Wednesday. Thank you.